from npr, i'm sam sanders. it's been a minute it's tuesday, and i have a conversation for you. today, i'm talking with natasha rothwell. she joined me at npr west studios in culver city. a lot of you know natasha from her role as kelly on hbo's insecure. this character, kelly, is, in my opinion, the funniest character on a show full of funny characters. Kelly is this loud and unapologetic and hilarious, driven black woman who is part of this friend circle of strong black women trying to make it professionally and personally in L.A. And Kelly isn't the lead on the show, but every scene she's in, every scene, she steals the show. The third season of Insecure comes to a close this weekend on HBO. And Natasha and I talk all about the show in our chat. We also talk about how she went from being a writer on Insecure to becoming one of the show's stars. We talk about how a character like Kelly, who is outspoken to the nth degree, uh, how that character is actually not what Natasha is a lot of the time in her real life. We talk about what it's like to work on a show that is consumed and sometimes torn apart in real time on Twitter on everything from breakups to makeups to sex. And we talk about what Natasha did before Insecure. She taught high school drama, and she got a writing job on SNL through a secret black woman-only SNL audition. But we start with me giving her a little bit of grief over rescheduling our interview. Natasha changed our first interview time because she claimed she lost her voice. It's funny. So when you said that you had to postpone the uh, you know interview because of your voice, I was like, "Is it really her voice? Right? Is she playing us?" But then I saw your Instagram video. Oh, and it was for real. We actually have the tape of that. Oh, do you really? Yes. Hi, fam. Oh my god. I've lost my voice, and I need you to sound off in the comments on what I can do to get it back. Help. <laughs> That was for real. That was... Your struggle was real. The struggle could not have been more real, and I was shook. And I'm like <laughs> a textbook goody-goody. Oh, really? And like, I don't like um, disappointing people Like on my list of things that bring me great anxiety. Uh-huh. So I was like... It was like firing on all cylinders. I was like, someone on this Instagram, give me some witch's brew. What was the weirdest tip you got? Well, it it was weird, but it worked. It was warm pineapple juice with turmeric. (laughs) Right. But it was like the the turmeric has like uh, anti-inflammatory qualities. And so that worked. And so I was like, all right. Hearing you talk about how in real life you don't like to let people down, you were it seems like you were describing to me someone who is um like me, a little bit mm-hmm. underlyingly always kinda anxious about getting yeah. it right. Yeah. And I compare that to your character, mm. Kelly on Insecure. Right. She gives no Fs. No, she cares not. Yeah. Yeah. Is that you at all? I think like in the Venn diagram we overlap in in a in like I was going to say in a lot of areas, but not in a lot of areas. <laughs> in in the area that we both care very deeply, we just express it differently. Like I, I'm a little bit more anxious about it and like cautious. And I yes. think she's her caring for for Issa and everyone. She's just like first thought, right thought. It's funny hearing you speak of the way that she cares for Issa. One of my favorite scenes between Kelly uh, and Issa's uh, character on the show is when Issa's trying to get a new apartment, right. and your character. <laughs> In her wonderfully motherly but real talk way is like, you can't do this, young lady. Right, right, right. (laughs) I think we have that clip prepped, too. I'm sorry. There's no way to get around this credit issue unless you get a co-signer. Not me. 
Or you could put down three or four months' rent if you've been saving. Ooh, I have been saving. Okay. I've been saving. I've been saving. I've been saving. I've been saving. She can say that. Uh-uh. 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 No, you know I eat out a lot. Oh, girl. Lids? I like my caps fitted. That is just... Radio Shack ain't even a store no more. Rite Aid. You buying groceries at Rite Aid? I buy panties there, too. That kind of real talk, like mm-hmm. how often in your life are you delivering that to your friends, to your people, to your family? I think um, when asked, okay, more often than not, uh-huh. I think that Kelly doesn't necessarily need permission. At all. <laughs> at all. And yeah. I think that's why I love playing her is because she's, um, I feel like with all characters that I approach, like they exist within me, but at a different volume. <laughs> mm. So like when I step into a role, I'm like, oh, I need to turn up this aspect of myself or turn this one down to like sort of calibrate how I approach. And I feel like with her, she lives in me, but the the dials are way down <laughs> in a lot of areas. And I feel like um, for her, her wanting to help lives in me, but my, I, my access or like my access point into like being helpful is different. How do you bring Kelly to life? How do you channel that? How do you turn the dials up? Um, There is a permission that I give myself as a performer when I put on a role to just check my inner critic and like to be Mm. able to really um, say yes to everything that's in the script and embrace it as my own, which is why I love performing. I think that's why I was drawn to it when I was younger is just to be, it gives me permission to do, say, think and be things that I wouldn't ordinarily and so in writing the scripts and like working on the show and in developing her in real time um it's just understanding that i don't have to be so cautious yeah and so it's just checking that sort of like self-consciousness in the dressing room yeah well and it's so interesting to see her character kelly because like on this show called Insecure, she is incredibly so secure. Yes. Which is beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, you've actually spoken about this before quite poignantly. Um, your interview was it with PrideSource.com mm-hmm. a while back. I, I love this quote. You said, until I got into my 30s, I felt like I was apologizing for being a woman, for being black. The beauty of playing Kelly is I get to have a character match how I feel and I get to play a woman who's never known any different. Yeah. That must be so freeing. It's unreal. And it's, and I also think that just like as a woman of color yeah. watching TV, I not that every character or, uh, I saw was apologizing for it, but was aware of it. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the beauty of Kelly. She has known no different. She yeah. knows that freedom of self-possession that like I dream of. Yeah, and so, she's, she's as free as a wealthy white man. Yes. Yes. Like, she is just... Yes. And in her, she would say she's as free as a black woman. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, she doesn't even have there's no that. Difference. There's no difference. And so for her, that kind of, like, bald, like, approach to, to life, uh-huh. it's exhilarating to play. And yeah. for me, it's just like... What I do find funny is that, like, in real life, people think that's me. (laughs) And so they, like, come up to me and they expect, and I'm just so more reserved and more aware of it than she. So Um, we got to talk about how you came to portray Kelly on the show, because when you started with Insecure, Mm -hmm. you were a writer. Yeah. 
So how'd that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Won't he do it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he will. <laughs> um, it. I mean, I was hired to write on the show, and I was so excited to do it. And really, it was my first sort of narrative scripted show. And what kind of work were you doing before? I was writing for Saturday Night Live, and then I wrote for my Netflix special, and right as I was in post for my Netflix specials when I got this job opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I went in with blinders. I was like, I want to be good at this. I want to learn as much as I can um, and not present as someone who was gifted an opportunity but earned it. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the room writing and like really trying to like pitch my ass off and like be considered as sort of like a clutch person in the writer's room that could be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And about two months into the writer's room, Issa called me into her office. Two months in? About two months. Okay. I want to say we had maybe two or three scripts in the bag. Kelly had already been created, and I think I don't come in until episode two. Who created Kelly? Um, ben Dugan, who's okay. a writer on the show, pitched a wild friend when we were you know, thinking about how to expand her social circle. Yeah. And we do internal table reads so like the the writers will read the writers will read and this is before we do the proper table read where you know hbo execs come through and we you know have the actors read for them Mm -hmm. and um i kept reading kelly at the table read Ah. uh, which was fun to do and they knew i was performing because i was in post from a netflix special so i was like juggling yeah and so when i was called into the office i was like Am I in trouble? Like, what is going on? Also, there was like a Nerf subplot. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) we were in the middle of a Nerf war in which, so like when we tackle scripts in the writer's room, Mm -hmm. there's um, about 12 of us. And so we split into sort of two groups to like, one will be working on episode two, one will be working on three. We're breaking story and writing the script. And those turned into factions, <laughs> warring factions when they're equipped with Nerf guns. I and love so it. Uh, I think the week prior, the other room like brought in like a Beats pill and like was playing opera music as they attacked. So Stop. it was very, it was Cinematic. very, yes. And so when I came in, I was like, okay, should I bring my gun? <laughs> like, into Issa's office. Yes. So what I was called, because I was just like, we had talked about taking someone hostage and I was like, did in they? The yes. <laughs> It's very, like, it was war games. So I was like, are they calling me in here to, like, you know, as a point, an act of war? And they looked right. They're like, no, calm down. Put your Nerf gun down. I was like, all right. Yeah, you came in there with your Nerf gun. I I remember it was smaller. It wasn't that big because we had, like, smaller ones, too. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, they were just like, you know, we would love for you to play Kelly. And I cried instantly. Wow. Because it was a thing that I didn't allow myself to want because I was Mm. just like, I want to do the one thing that I was asked to do well mm-hmm. and like exceed at that. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't even entertain that I would be a part of the show, let alone asked to do it and not have to audition. So yeah. um, It's funny hearing you say that because Kelly, I feel like Kelly would have walked in the day one being like, y'all know at some point I'm acting <laughs> the show. <laughs> Just so y'all know. Just the, it's the differences between Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things I'm sure you've noticed about the show and probably think about a lot is that Everything every character does is dissected by mm-hmm. black Twitter and all of Twitter. Yeah. And there are some times where these characters who are meant to be flawed mm-hmm. are torn apart for doing things that flawed people do. Yeah. <laughs> How does that feel? I'm thinking about the episode about oral sex. I'm thinking about oh. other stuff. Like, yeah, y- y- y'all get it. We get it. And we hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that. It's it's what happens when there's not enough representation mm. because it's 
a story, not mm-hmm. all stories. And so when exactly. people see the show, they're like, well, I don't, I don't see my specific experience reflected in this specific storyline. So it's wrong. So it's wrong. And for me, I can hear that. And my answer to that has always been and will continue to be, please tell your story. Like, I feel like I want to hear your nuanced take mm-hmm. on contraception, blowjobs, all of it, dating, blah, blah, like, yeah. the li- like the whole laundry list of things of things that we have seen cis white men, their whole rainbow of story being told, Mm -hmm. the nuanced stories that we've seen Mm -hmm. um, from a very homogenous group. Oh yeah. Here's an opportunity for us as marginalized individuals, especially with as many platforms that are out now Mm -hmm. for you to tell your story. So Mm -hmm. my hope is that as provocative as the show is to black Twitter and to all Twitter, that we are provoking some future creators to put their story down so we can hear that nuance take. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I'm interested. I want to see it. And I'm on the show, and not, my story is not <laughs> always on there. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And we have a writer's room full. Of, that's one of the things that I love about the show is we have such a diverse writer's room, and we have more than just one black person. We have more than just one black woman. Mm-hmm. And so to sit around with a bunch of black women, mm-hmm. various sexualities, various mm-hmm. ages, uh, various races, and we're approaching a topic, it gets heated because we're just like, that's not my truth. That's not my truth, exactly. right? Exactly. So because we have a diverse writer's room, we can tell a diverse story, but mm-hmm. it's not everyone's. <laughs> it's not every yeah. And like, it's not everyone's. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I'll yeah. watch it as a black guy who lives in L.A. now, but mm-hmm. I'm from Texas, and I am I am Texas black. Mm-hmm. And that is different than L.A. black. That is very different from L.A. black. The words are different. The yes. mannerisms are different. I would never wear all those loud colors. Uh-uh. <laughs> but, like, it's Sweaters different. in the summer? Yeah. No, it's crazy. Yeah. And so, like, you just have to say, like, that is just as black as my black. It's just different. It's just different. And it's very freeing when you can see it from that vantage point. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, oh, I can connect to stories of love and loss and belonging. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be dressed as I'm dressed. You know what I mean? I exactly. can connect to that. So. Yeah. Well, and it's like one of the things that I love about this like new renaissance of black TV is that like you look at shows like Blackish, most of the audience is white. Yeah. It is exciting to see white viewers yes. understand that they can see a universal humanity in our stories too. Yeah. I mean, I watch Seinfeld like that was my life (laughs) like I was just like oh my god this is me I watch friends and I'm like I get it (laughs) so I spent my childhood watching shows filled with stories and people who didn't look like me exactly but Mm -hmm. they told specific stories about humanity that I was able to connect to and I feel like that is the get for a lot of people who don't look like insecure who stand for insecure because they're just like you're telling a very specific story about love loss relationships and belonging Mm -hmm. and I connect to that so I can watch the show and my my response to that is just like of course you can watch the show we're all humans we're all humans (laughs) surprise and I think that's like like the gag of the show is just like surprise we're normal exactly <laughs> like watch us exactly you know? <laughs> exactly yeah when was the first time you as a kid growing up watching tv and movies said oh my god i see someone who looks like me mel carter okay yeah give What'd me a break like? yeah yeah tell me what you liked about her she was irreverent and subversive i feel like yeah. so many versions of like playing the help mm-hmm. on the show i'd seen mm-hmm. you know i'd seen that mm-hmm. but to see her uh talk back to someone who is white and yeah. to have like and to be right <laughs> yeah and be apologized to yeah, and like and win. To be, and win yeah to me i was like okay like mm-hmm. i see see that and but, she can sing and she can sing <laughs> like come on but just her fearlessness 
and uh, her range. I just remember watching Give Me a Break and she would have me like, you know, awing along with the like the soundtrack, the you know the laugh uh-huh. track where the audience awed. I'd be like, like, oh, me too, I feel like- and then I'd be laughing. Mm-hmm. And so, her comedic range something that really spoke to me. All right, time for a break. When we come back, Natasha's old life as a high school drama teacher in the Bronx, and how she left that behind. BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover. The traditional first anniversary gift is paper. Most couples aren't gifting each other stationery. But Discover is following this anniversary tradition for its new card members. At the end of your first year, Discover will match all the cash back you earned, dollar for dollar. No caps and no catch. That's a paper anniversary gift in the form of a cash back bonus. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Cash back match offer only for new card members. Limitations apply. Support also comes from Netflix and their upcoming film, Hold the Dark, a gripping psychological thriller directed by Jeremy Solnier. Revenge and horror unfold in the treacherous Alaskan wilderness when a retired wolf expert is summoned to investigate a child's disappearance. A riveting examination of human nature and the mysteries of the wilderness. Starring Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, and Riley Keough. Watch the new film, Hold the Dark, September 28th, only on Netflix. Hey, Asma. Hey, Scott. Another crazy week. We've got North Korea. Yep, we got Russia. Midterms. And, of course, President Trump. And what happens whenever there is crazy news that erupts? We pop into the studio and break it down to make sense. So if you see a headline... We've discussed it. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. All right, dear listener, before we get back to the show, uh, I want to ask you a favor. If you're enjoying this conversation and you are in the Southern California area, L.A., Pasadena, etc., I want you to come see us do it live. I think you'd enjoy it. Uh, Tuesday night, October 2nd, I will be uh, in partnership with NPR member station KPCC in Pasadena talking on stage with comedian Guy Branham. He is one of the funniest people alive. I mean it. Uh, Don't miss out. It'll be a good time. There'll be laughs and drinks, too. You can get tickets and info at kpcc.org slash in person kpcc.org slash in person. That link is also in our episode data, too. All right, back to the show. Uh, So where are you from? Everywhere. My Mm -hmm. dad was in the Air Force, and so uh, I'm a military brat, moved around a ton, but mostly I feel like if you wherever you go to prom is like where you're from. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. like, uh, that for me that was Maryland, Southern Maryland, and Waldorf. Please tell me you have prom photos. Oh, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, and so I went to two high schools. My first high school was in Florida, but I graduated from and went to prom in Maryland, and then I ended up going to University of Maryland. Okay. So that feels home like, yeah, yeah. but I don't have any family that's um, there still. My folks born and raised in Philly, and so they've retired to South Jersey, right outside of Philly. Yeah. So that's where like, you know, okay. Christmas and Thanksgiving is. Okay. Yeah. What kind of kid were you? I'm guessing you weren't a Kelly. No, <laughs> no. I was just, I was the the straight A sort of like student with talks too much on her report card. I was very chatty. I had a lot of questions. I was very inquisitive. My mom used to have to come up to school and talk to teachers a lot because I would say, well, I would just ask why. And they would yeah. just like, well, because I said so. I'm like, but why are you saying so? You, you know, a journalist. I know. <laughs> I wouldn't give up. And I broke, I think, a few teachers <laughs> with my <laughs> questions. Um, but um, 
Yeah, and I was always funny. I like making people laugh with something I always did. Mm-hmm. Like I would, we would play like make me laugh with my, I have two sisters and a brother. Mm-hmm. And so when you move around a lot, sometimes the first couple of months you're in a new city, you're each other's friends, yeah. whether you like, like your siblings mm-hmm. at the time or not. Mm-hmm. And we would, you know, sit someone down in a chair and try to break them comedically. And so, Really? Yeah. How would, would you break your siblings? Was there like one that you knew but always do it? Uh, there wasn't one thing. I think the thing that I love to this day is just committing a thousand percent mm-hmm. to like a joke or a decision. And mm-hmm. I think that always got them because they would have a line of comfortability. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I will go up to that line, past that line. Bam. I was like, I'm going to commit. Yeah. And so it would be a lot of silly stuff like that. Yeah. But How, Did you study in college writing, drama? What did you uh, I went to two colleges. My first right. college was Ithaca College. I was a journalism major. Oh. Yeah. You could have uh, joined the craft. I could have joined the craft. <laughs> um, my biggest issue was uh, the rigidity of <laughs> journalism where it's just like you have to tell mm-hmm. a very specific story. You to tell someone else's story. Someone else's story. And yeah. for me, that was creatively uh, frustrating. Uh-huh. And so um, I transferred to University of Maryland where I majored in theater performance. Okay. Yeah. Theater performance. And then, okay, if you taught drama for a while i did I at a kip school i yes okay i, got a, I know a, so i went to public policy school and a bunch of my classmates are doing stuff with kip now yeah. and it seems like it is everyone that i know that who's a part of kip like yeah. they are so devoted and committed to the to the idea of it yeah it's a very um let say what kip is i guess those don't know yeah yeah it's the kip stands for knowledge is power program and it's the idea that students from areas that are underserved deserve a quality education. And mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, I had always done like teaching artist stuff. Like when you're on the grind with the theater, when you graduate with a theater degree, you have to you, eat yeah. and pay your bills. <laughs> and for me, I was just like, well, proximity to my craft was like my focus. I was yeah. just like, I mean, I think there's incredible like nobility and waiting tables and doing this sort of, you know, cliched artist hustle. Um, I just know I would be terrible at it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I need to like find employment that like would be sustainable. And I knew I loved theater enough to want to teach it. Mm. And so I was (laughs) I was in Japan. I lived there for a year. Doing what? Um, I was performing at the Tokyo Comedy Store and teaching English. And so... I want right. to read that book. I know. It's Black <laughs> in Japan. It's a, I'm working on a pilot. So. <laughs> yes. um, it's very, it was wild being there. But while I was there, mm-hmm. my sister messaged me. She knew it was Operation New York. I wanted to get there mm-hmm. by way of. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, you know, there's a KIPP school that my friend is opening up huh. and they need a theater teacher. Yeah. And so I got hired. And so I was able to teach, you know, from 7 a.m. to like 2, 3, and then I would do the, you know, play rehearsal or like the, you know, whatever the after school thing is, and then I would go to UCB and I would do comedy from, you know, either be in a class or be teaching a class later on in my career at UCB, and then by the end it would be like running off to do a show, so it was like... It was a true New York hustle of just like doing that for four years. And how old were the kids? It was high school, high school uh, theater in the Bronx. Okay, for four years. This all all of your life needs to be several movies. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was very uh, challenging in all the right ways, and it like the most cliched thing I could say at this moment is you know they taught me more than I taught them, but it's just true, Aww. right? <laughs> it's just true. It's cliched because it's real, mm-hmm. and so. Um, they forced me to articulate sort of my passion. Mm. And it was one of the things, like in my third year there, 
I was talking to like my students and, you know, telling them how important it was to follow your passion and not to get deterred. And there I was like in the classroom Mm. in a city that I went to specifically to manifest my dreams and my passion. And so that contradiction was a real catalyst to be like, okay, I need to really figure out my new hustle. Like, what does it look like for me to do this full time? And so I strategized about sort of going part time at KIPP my last year there and then was able to transition out. Yeah. Yeah. Do they watch Insecure? Your kids? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's an adult themed show. It is. And I've getting I've gotten messages from like, yo, miss, I saw you on that show doing dirty. And I was just like, um, okay, you cannot <laughs> Can I message me on social media? <laughs> don't do it. Don't, <laughs> don't do, do it. it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, but it's lovely because I feel like the best lesson I taught them, mm-hmm. uh, or could teach them on passion and following their dreams is to do what I'm doing now. Yeah. 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 And I mean, so like you leave that probably very safe space and then you're, you know, back trying to make it, trying to make it, trying to make it. Mm-hmm. And then all of, I mean, it's not all of a sudden, I'm sure it took years, but like yeah. you end up being one of the success stories out of the weird, strange SNL race debacle. Yeah. How do we set this up? So uh, there had been critique, and there's always been critique about the racial makeup of that show. Mm -hmm. But it reached such a fever pitch that a few years ago, (laughs) Lauren Michael, the head of the show, Mm -hmm. had like a secret black lady audition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. What (laughs) I just... So I talked to... um, Sashir Zameda a mm-hmm. while back about her experience at that audition. Yeah. And I'm still like, that must have been the craziest thing. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> for me, doing comedy in New York, for most people who do comedy in New York, yeah. I'll speak generally, yeah. they have sort of their crosshairs set on being on SNL. That is the holy That's grail. That's the holy grail. That was not my case because of said yeah. issues with their casting. Yeah. I had not seen myself reflected in Mm -hmm. the cast or someone who looked like me on the cast i'll rephrase that and so because i'm like in thinking of black women maya rudolph another black woman from way back in the day yes but it was like two yeah yeah and so for me i was just like you know i don't want to feel like running my head against a wall that i knew that was sort of impenetrable And so while I was on that grind, um, I was contacted by the artistic director at the time uh, at the People's Improv Theater and said, listen, Mm -hmm. uh, SNL reached out to me. They're doing this audition. uh, And they asked me who I think should be a Mm -hmm. part of it. And I said, you. And I was like, okay. Did it feel weird? Yes. It's like this underground railroad audition. Yeah. I I didn't, to be honest, like me being completely wide-eyed and naive, I showed up and I thought it was just going to be a multicultural, like, I didn't know it was just like black women until (laughs) I'm backstage. I was backstage. I was like, (laughs) what kind of utopia is this? I was like, this is heaven. I remember we took a picture, which like got leaked somehow. Yeah. And I was just like, this, I've never, all of us talked about how we're always the only one. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if we're on our Herald teams or if we're showing up for different things up uh-huh. until that point, there'd be a black person. Yeah. Maybe a black woman. Mm-hmm. Not a room full of talented, funny black women. Yeah. But then they bring you together. And, and like, they bring us Kiki together. Kiki to Kiki, but yeah. now you got to compete. Yeah, like to the death. In right? the Comedy <laughs> Hunger Games. In the Comedy Hunger Games. But I, when I, here's the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, I want, I like a thousand percent, like was 
at the point when someone's just like, here's a party that you definitely weren't going to be invited to, but now you have a special invitation. You dress up. Like, you get dressed, you, like, get ready. So I was like, okay, I'm going to really try to go after this. But I remember seeing everyone backstage, and I hit a point emotionally where I was just like, I don't think I'm what they're looking for. And not for Mm -hmm. my ability, but... Mm -hmm. They classically cast people who look like the imitations, like the the impersonations that they'll Uh. do. And at the time, they were looking for Michelle Obama. And I was like, that ain't me. (laughs) But you know what I am? I'm funny. And so I was like, I'm going to write and perform something that I think is very funny and that makes me laugh. What did you perform? Um, I did uh, impressions of Oprah, Maya Angelou. I did Keenan. Keenan was in the audience. And so I did a Keenan. You did Keenan. I did Keenan for Keenan. a little bit of Keenan. It was completely silent, which is me doing all of his looks, (laughs) which are just like, because he does a lot of wide eyes to the camera. Oh, yeah. So I just announced it. You know, I'm doing Keenan. And it was just... I love it. It was just a lot of like <laughs> side looks. And I, um, and I had such, I felt in that moment like a fearlessness with the audition because I was like, I've got nothing to lose. Mm. And I had a great audition. I felt really good about it. Mm. Um, and that's what I want to have happen. And like yeah. everything else that happened after that was all a shock and all campaign. Like Because no then idea. they came to you and said, you should write for us. Yeah. Um, they reached out to my manager at the time and they, well, now she's still my manager. I love her to death. And mm-hmm. uh, what's up? Um, she <laughs> she said that they contacted her and were just like, it was one of the best written auditions we'd seen. And would wow. you come in for a meeting to write for the show? And it was another, I remember um, getting the, the call for that. And it was a, a long time. Oh, it really? was a, it was a time enough for me to sort of grieve, not getting it. Mm. Then that popped up again. So it was just a very, it was a back and forth of just like the hot, you know, the hot guy yeah. wants you. He don't want you. Uh-huh. He called, you know, yeah, it's just like, yeah. you know, I don't want to mess like, with him. I already blocked his number. I blocked his number. Who's this? And then you're just like, okay, let me, you know, put on some makeup and see what he wants. So <laughs> yeah. it was definitely that going in to uh, meet with the head writers and, you know, ultimately write for the show. One more quick break here. When we come back, more on SNL. The show's new season premieres this weekend, and the show this season will feature a new black female cast member named Ego Wodem. Natasha is an alum of that show as a writer, and she has some bigger thoughts on the show's larger diversity issues. All right, back in a minute. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Newman's Own Foundation, working to nourish the common good by donating all profits from Newman's Own food products to charitable organizations that seek to make the world a better place. More information is available at newmansownfoundation.org. This is Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We do long-form interviews with the people behind the best books, pop culture, journalism, and more, so you can get to know the people whose work you love. You'll find Fresh Air on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. I have interviewed now your my third interview with someone who used to be on that show, mm-hmm. Dr. Taryn Killam, yeah. Sashir, who was just delightful. I got the feeling from both of them mm-hmm. that their relationship with that show, even after being off it for a while, is conflicted. Was it a good experience for you? I hear, I, I wonder about what it's like to be there from what I've talked to folks about. It's not easy. It's mm. not easy. I'm appreciative of the time I like had there. Yeah. How many years were you there? I was just there for one year. Okay. It was season 40, which mm-hmm. was a wild time to be there. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's meant to be easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I also think that um, being 
in a 40-year-old institution that is predominantly white as yeah. a woman of color. Oh, yeah. It's a different journey. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat it or whatever. Yeah. It's just it's sort of at this point, my process with having been on the show and now sort of having hindsight, it's really sort of matter of fact where um, I learned a ton. I learned a ton. Mm-hmm. I was like working alongside amazing, smart, funny people. Mm-hmm in an environment that wasn't for me. Like some people thrive there, yeah. you know? So it's like no shade, but it was just like, it, was, yeah. it wasn't for me. But at the time I wanted, it's it's like you want the glass shoe to fit so badly mm-hmm. and you're bending your foot and mm-hmm. you're trying to figure out how to fit in because you want it to be you. You want yeah. them to want you as much as you want them. But you should never break your foot. It shouldn't break your foot. Find something that fits. <laughs> Find a nice, you know, easy shoe. <laughs> yeah. Something where it's just, you know, there's a comfort level there. And so- naturalizer flip yeah that's right get some like you know little low wedges <laughs> nothing crazy um but but this is yeah. the challenge i think with these legacy institutions that are being forced to acknowledge diversity mm-hmm. when they try to change things up they have to acknowledge that some of the very structures they've built yeah. are inherently not conducive to person from xyz background succeeding right right, right, right. and they don't see that you can't just paint by numbers and put new people and new faces in the places that they had never been before and say, you should have the same thing that these folks before had. Because, right. well, it should just, just do it. Right. It's different. It's graduating from tokenism to inclusion and to understanding diversity mm. in the true meaning of it, which is not, we got one. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that um, the biggest thing that it, it, it did for me was give me confidence in my voice. Because I mm. think... My first couple of months there, I was desperately trying to be uh, what I thought they wanted. Mm. And then I realized me being myself in that audition at the People's Improv Theater where I just gave zero Yeah, That's what they wanted. Exactly. And so I sort of did that to myself, this sort of like trying to, again, I told you I was a, a people pleaser by yeah. nature. Yeah. I was like not wanting to disappoint. So my... My focus going into it was just like, how do I get them to like me mm-hmm. and not accept that I was already at the table and not I continue to audition two months into writing for the show, if that makes exactly. sense. If you were you've been a teacher, I know. you had to give. Yes. yes. If you had to give SNL a grade on how they're dealing with diversity, what would it be right now? They just announced the new cast. Yes. For next Ego. Season. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. She's going to be a black woman on screen Bowen, there, yeah, yeah. which is great. But like, where do you think score wise, grade wise, SNL is doing right now on diversity issues? I feel like grading them means that they, you know, the, they've turned in a complete assignment and mm. I feel like they're, it's, it's a constantly moving, growing machine. I do mm. think that they are aware. Yeah. They are very hyper well, aware. Twitter's made them aware. Twitter has made them aware. There would be no Underground Railroad audition no, without Black without, Twitter. Right. And without the response to that being, you know, Keenan saying, you know, I'm not going to dress up as a woman anymore. Right? <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that they're they're answering the call, but I think the true evidence of diversity on that show will be longevity Mm. of uh, marginalized groups behind the camera and in front of the camera. You know, you talk a lot about being on screen and seeing people like you on screen and Mm -hmm. knowing that there is a journey for a representation and Mm -hmm. it's a thing you take seriously. So I, I wondered in prepping for this interview, like, 
if you could have any project or any role, no budget limit, no, you get what you get whatever you want. What is the role that you're dying to play as you? Wait, what do you mean? Like the? I mean, like, 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 like if there's like a, a like a movie that already exists, or the kind of movie, kind of movie, kind of role. Like in 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 thinking about like having wanting wanting to see you on screen, yeah, as a kid and even now, yeah. What role do you want to see you in? Still, still, um, a rom com, and it seems so basic, but. I watch a ton of them. Watched past tense and currently watched. <laughs> and you've been in it. You've been in some. And I, I, I say this. I've. There are obviously, you know, films that explore black love, mm-hmm. but a mainstream like rom com. Yeah. That, per, like, gives me the the feels. <laughs> yeah. That I felt when I watched, you know, God. Bridget Jones, like, uh-huh. you know, you've got mail, Sleepless in Seattle, you know, like, it's complicated. We're watching all of these sort of, like, the Nora Ephron canon yeah. of co- that. The kitchen rent. porn. The ki- yes, yes. <laughs> I want, you know, cabinets and, yes. and you know, crown molding. Yes, and, um, and the center island that is as big as New Jersey. Yes, <laughs> and, a, you know, the, the kitchen, I mean, the farmhouse sink. Uh-huh. Um, that kind of story where the protagonist is a plus-size woman of color, and those things aren't central plot points. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, well, yeah. I think that, like, the, again, the Kelly of it of just not apologizing for any mm-hmm. otherness, mm-hmm. I don't know if I've seen a rom-com not apologize for it. Yeah. There's the, like, I love you even though. Yeah. Well, and so, yeah. so much of the basic structure of rom-coms is that women have to apologize for themselves to get the man. Yes, there's just like, you know what? I was wrong about me. You know like, <laughs> yeah. but let's, you know, let's yeah. work on this together. Uh-huh. Thanks for teaching me. Um <laughs> So yeah, I think that like I love love and I love the idea of I would love to like star in in a in like a word for word remake of When Harry Met Sally and just <sighs> cast it different. Yeah. Who is your male lead? Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> That's how, like, I'm just like, I'm just like, I have, n- I truly have no idea, but I'm just like, that for me is like one of the best, or not I'm for me, it's the best rom- romantic comedy. Really? Um, I watch it all the time and it's it's not even just like, um, it's just a really well-written movie yeah um and so i was just like what if that like that's that's like uh would be a, a joy to see yeah. yeah i want to see you in my best friend's wedding yeah that's what i want to see you in oh my god yeah. yes i wasn't even <laughs> thinking i love that movie. That, that soundtrack movie so good. that yes. soundtrack is bomb yes. yes i was listening to it yesterday <laughs> on spotify check it out oh, yeah. it's good yeah, yeah, yeah. all right i have asked you all the questions i have for you i okay. am so happy this happened Me i'm too. happy your voice picked up i'm here you're here yes. it's great thank you so much thank you many thanks again to natasha rothwell uh, you can catch the finale of insecure season three on hbo this coming sunday night uh, we're back on friday with our regular weekly wrap Again, for those in SoCal, come hang at this live show with me next week in Pasadena, nprpresents.org. You'll also find that link in the episode data for this episode. And as a little treat, dear listeners, we're going to end this episode with a song that Natasha Rothwell made for her episode of a Netflix series called The Characters. This song, 
Maybe don't crank it up all the way at work. But it's uh, all about being a little bit basic. And honestly, it speaks to me on so many levels. All right, we are back Friday. Until then, thanks for listening. Talk soon. Basic. Basic. You calling me basic? <laughs> oh, you have no idea. That's right, I'm a basic bitch. Forever 21 got me looking rich. Nicholas Sparks is my favorite author. I drink Diet Coke like it's goddamn water. I wear yoga pants every day of the week. I got heels in my purse and times on my feet. No clean underwear, yo, that's no problem. I'm just gonna wear my bikini. But I'm a basic, basic, basic bitch. I never leave home without my selfie stick. I'm a basic, basic, basic bitch. If this karaoke, I'm singing Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs>